0: To love and be loved—that's what it's all about. Why do
1: you say that? I think you should follow your
0: heart. To love and be loved—that's what it's all
1: about. I think you should follow your heart. I think about you a lot.
0: I love you. To love and be loved—that's what it's all about.
1: I think about you a lot.
0: To love and be loved—that's what it's all about. Who is it? Why do you say that? To love and be loved—that's what it's all about.
1: I think about you a lot. I will make him understand. I think about you a lot. I will make him understand. This really is like a dream, isn't it? I think it should follow your heart. This really is like a dream, isn't
0: it? To love and be loved, that's what it's all about. To love and be loved, that's what it's all about.
1: I think you should follow your heart. This really is like a dream, isn't it? I will make him understand Champagne This really is like a dream, isn't it? Why can't you trust me? <laughs> Champagne
0: Why do you say that?
1: Why do you say that?
0: To love and be loved, that's what it's all about.
1: Who is it? Who is it? I think about you a lot. about you a I love you. No woman expects a man to hurt her. I will make him understand. This really is like a dream, isn't it? I think you should follow your heart. It's like vengeance, it's not enough like justice. You should
2: follow your heart. Music from Sydney composer Peter Miller and his album Love vs Gravity. That was Follow Your Heart. And it begins this 614th broadcast of Ultima Thule. Ambience with George Crookshank through till midnight on the Fine Music Network in Sydney and Adelaide. 102.5 to MBS and 5 MBS 99.9. Ultima Thuli is sponsored by Rosne Organic Wines. Visit their website rosnewines.com.au
1: Today is Wednesday. It is a sunny day outside. The grass is covered in a layer of brown and yellow and even some dark red autumn leaves. There is a breeze blowing some of the smaller leaves into tiny spirals. Here's the man, there? Yeah? Yes. Over by the bird bath. He's raking the leaves. Can't you hear him?
0: stop for the moment
1: I didn't hear him before that's because you weren't listening he's not there listen Martin you'll hear him soon enough he's raking the leaves now listen for the rake he was never there why would I lie to you because you can time and eternity. And this bridge is he will see people will see
3: that erases the 17th century notion of the unconscious. Nothing is now unconscious if your data search commands are powerful enough. He felt that the evolution of sensory ratios within historical time had been very, very rapid. These are all unconscious biases imbibed uh, from the world of print. Like for Joyce, for McLuhan, the book is the central symbol of the age, the central mystery of our time. In a sense, I sort of share that notion. It's a very Talmudic notion. It's a very psychedelic notion. It's the idea that somehow the career of the word is the central overarching uh, metaphor of the age. And naturally, if the book is the central metaphor for reality, then reality itself is seen as somehow literary, somehow textual. And this, in fact, is how I think reality was seen until the rise of modern science. Out of which science had to divest itself is the notion uh, of a book, or if that seems too concrete, a story, a narrative, the story of man's fall and redemption. That was what the Christian exegesis of, uh, of uh, post-edemic time was all about. With the rise of modern science, the idea. Somewhat overthrown. Uh, McLuhan would say that narrative persisted far beyond its utility because the uh, biases of kept it in place for much, such a long time. In McLuhan, there is a very deep strain of nostalgia for the essence of the medieval world what he called manuscript culture and essentially his entire output is a critique of print and of the impact of print on uh, culture and and I think though he attempted to be fairly even-handed his final resolution of all this was that it had it had had many, many detrimental and distorting effects uh, on the Western mind. This is a short section called Only a Fraction of the History of Literacy Has Been Typographic. Till now we have been concerned mostly with the written word as it transfers or translates the audio tactile space of sacral non-literate man into the visual space of civilized or literate or profane man. Once this transfer or metamorphosis occurs, we are soon in the world of books, scribal or typographic. The rest of our concern will be with books, written and printed, and the results for learning and society. From the 5th century BC to the 15th century AD, the book was a scribal product. Only one-third of the history of the book in the Western world has been typographic. It is not incongruous, therefore, to say, as G.S. Brett does in psychology, ancient and modern, and here's the quote. The idea that knowledge is essentially book learning seems to be a very modern view, probably derived from the medieval distinctions between clerk and layman, with additional emphasis provided by the literary character of the rather fantastic humanism of the 16th century. The original and natural idea of knowledge is that of cunning, or the possession of wits. Odysseus is the is the original type of thinker, a man of many ideas, who could overcome the cyclops and achieve a significant triumph of mind over matter. Knowledge is thus a capacity for overcoming the, of, the difficulties of life and achieving success in this world. So that closes the quote. Then McLuhan comments Brett here specifies the natural dichotomy which the book brings into any society, in addition to the split within the individual that society. The work of James Joyce exhibits a complex clairvoyance in these matters. His Leopold Bloom of Ulysses, a man of many ideas and many devices, is a freelance salesman. Joyce saw the parallels on one hand between the modern frontier of the verbal and the pictorial, and, on the other, between the Homeric world poised between the old sacral culture and the new profane or literate sensibility. Bloom, the newly detribalized Jew, is presented in modern Dublin, a slightly detribalized Irish world. Such a frontier is the modern world of the advertisement, congenial, therefore, to the, trans- to the transitional culture of Bloom. In the 17th or Ithaca episode of Ulysses, we read, What were habitually his final meditations? Of some one sole unique advertisement to cause passers to stop in wonder, a poster novelty with all extraneous accretions excluded, reduced to its simplest and most efficient terms, not exceeding the span of casual vision and congruous with the velocity of modern life. In the books at the wake, James S. Atherton points out, and here's Atherton's quote, amongst other things, Finnegan's wake is a history of writing we begin with writing on a bone, a pebble, a ram's skin, leave them to cook in the mothering pot, and Guten Morgue with his Cro-Magnon Charter, tinting fats and great prime. must once for omnibus step rubric red out of the word press. The mothering pot is an illusion to alchemy, but there is some other significance connected with writing. For the next time the word appears, it is again in a context concerning improvement in a system of in systems of communication the passage is all the Irish signics of her dip and dump help a bit from and father hogan told the mutter Maskins dip and dump help a bit combine the deaf and dumb alphabet signs in the air or Irish signs with the ups and downs of the ordinary abc and the more pronounced up and down of Irish shotgun writing. The mason following this must be the man of that name who invented steel pen and But all I can suggest from mother is the mothering of Freemasons, which does not fit the context, although they, of course, also make signs in the air. Is that perfectly clear. of the caveman or sacral man from the audio world of simultaneous resonance into the profane world of daylight the reference to the masons is to the world of the bricklayer as a type of speech itself. on the second page of the wake joyce is making a mosaic and a shield as it were of all the themes Meister Finnegan of the Stuttering Hand, Freeman's Maurer lived in the broadest way, immarginable in his rush lit too far back for massages. Before Joshua and Judges had given us numbers, Joyce is in the wake, making his own Altamira cave drawings of the entire history of the human mind in terms of its basic gestures and postures during all phases of human culture and technology. As his title indicates, he saw that the wake of human progress can disappear again into the night of sacral or auditory man. The thin cycle of tribal institutions can return in the electric age. But if again, then let's make it awake, or awake, or both. Joyce could see no advantage in our remaining locked up in each cultural cycle as in a trance or dream. He discovered the means of living simultaneously in all cultural modes while quite conscious. This means he cites for such self-awareness and correction of cultural bias in his colliderioscope. This term indicates the interplay and colloidal mixture of all components of human technology as they extend our senses and shift their ratios in the social kaleidoscope of cultural clash. Deor, savage, the oral or sacral, scope, the visual or profane and civilized. To a different sensory ratio and you might suppose if you hadn't given us a lot of thought that the new electronic media television and so forth would carry us into an entirely different sensory ratio McLuhan felt differently he felt that it was restoring us to a medieval sensory ratio he felt that the television screen is much more like an illuminated
1: manuscript. Since
3: TV children, regardless of eye condition, average about six and a half inches from the printed page. Our children are striving to carry over to the printed page the all-involving sensory mandate of the TV image. With perfect psychomagnetic skill, they carry out the commands of the TV image. They pour, they probe, they slow down and involve themselves in death. This is what they have learned to do in the cool iconography of the comic book medium. TV carried the process much further. Suddenly they are transferred to the hot print medium, with its uniform patterns and fast lineal movement. Pointlessly they strive to read print in depth. They bring to print all their senses and print rejects them. Print asks for the isolated and stripped down visual faculty, not for the unified sensorium. He felt that the evolution of sensory ratios within historical time had been very, very rapid. From the invention of the alphabet, there has been a continuous drive in the Western world toward the separation of the senses, of functions, of operations, of states emotional and political, as well as of tasks. A fragmentation which terminated thought Durkheim in the anomie of the 19th century. The paradox presented by Professor von Bexey is that the two-dimensional mosaic is in fact a multidimensional world of interstructural resonance. It is the three-dimensional world of pictorial space that is an abstract illusion built on the intense separation of the visual from the other senses does the interiorization of media such as letters alter the ratio among our senses and change mental processes topography cracked the voices of silence and one of my favorite Heidegger surfboards along on the electronic wave as triumphantly as Descartes rode the mechanical
1: wave. We
3: can much more easily approach the role of alphabet and of printing in giving a dominant role to the visual sense in language and art and in the entire range of social and political life. For until we have upgraded the visual component, communities know only a tribal structure. The detribalizing of the individual has, in the past at least, depended on an intense visual life. For writing is a visual enclosure of non-visual spaces and senses. It is therefore an abstraction of the visual from the ordinary sense interplay. And whereas. Uttering utterance of all our senses at once, writing abstracts.
2: beginning our bracket this evening was music from Not Drowning Waving and their soundtrack to the film Proof. The track that we heard was called The Garden and that was followed by music from Sydney composer John Kilby, the title track from his album Catching Some Zeds. The piece after that was from Melbourne composer James Gordon Anderson and his recording Biocentenary Afterimage we heard movement 2 from that recording and finally from Stuart White also known as Diatonus Elements of Light was the piece from the recording The Convolving Universe you heard all of that on the Fine Music Network in Sydney 102.5 to MBS and in Adelaide 5 MBS 99.9 where I'm George Cruikshank and the program is Ultima Thule, a weekly broadcast of ambient and atmospheric music from across the ages and around the world. Heard every Sunday evening from 10.30 through till midnight. To find out more about Ultima Thule, to take a look at our playlists, and to hear some of our other recent broadcasts, you can visit our website, ultimathule.info. And don't forget to visit the website of our sponsor, Rosnay Organic Wines, and their site is rosnaywines.com.au. Nev Dorrington's in the chair here next week, and I'll return, as usual, in a fortnight's time. Until then, this is music from the 16th century British composer Thomas Tallis. It's from the album Black Angels, performed by Kronos Quartet, and it's called Spem In Alium.